But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession of sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own in thine own power? Why hast thou con- why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And, Anan- and Ananias, heard, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young man came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrote among the people, and were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, and and so much that they brought forth the sick into the streets, and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks in them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all them that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with the indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people's all the words of this life and then they heard that and when they heard that they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught but the high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and set the set to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly we found shut with all safety, and the keepers standing out before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. 
Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then when the captain with the officers then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exiled with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thetis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined themselves who were slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. You could be seated, please. Good morning. Thank you, Higginbotham's, for the reading of the word. It's always a joy to hear dads and sons reading the word. Thank you for that this morning. Well, we uh, last week took a, a brief hiatus from Acts. We were in Ephesians last week. Getting back to Acts this week, picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. You might recall where we left things at verse 11, right on the heels of Ananias and Sapphira. We 
close the curtain there, if you will, for the time being, there were two funerals. And we looked at the impact of these lives, Ananias and Sapphira, and the impact this had on the church. Verse 11 says, Great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And then we proceed into verse 12, which really verse 12 through 16 is another summary section. Luke, as he's moved by the Spirit, he inserts these summary sections throughout the book of Acts. What's interesting here is you begin reading in verse 12. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Now, hopefully, if you've been here, as we've been preaching through this book, hopefully... There's a reminder that stirs up within you when you read verse 12. Because if you look backwards to chapter 4, and you look at what chapter 4, 29 and 30 says, this is the end of the prayer as they are gathered together. After having been released from prison the first time, they get together with the brothers and they are praying to God. Verse 29 says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, They may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Even after the death of Ananias and Sapphira, the church, according to What we read in verse 12 of chapter 5, the church was still operating with one accord. You know, things didn't look all that great, did they? Things were going really well. And then this one episode that we have recorded for us of sin in the church. But right on the heels... Of that, we see verse 12, how they were with one accord. The Lord's disciplinary hand, evident to those gathered, to those who heard about these things, brings them together at this time. Look at verse 13. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Interesting verse. You see, due to what had happened, due to hearing the news of of Ananias and Sapphira, there was an uneasiness with joining this new community. And yet, the people still esteemed them highly at this point. They're able to see the unity of the Spirit among those followers of Jesus and realize, as we spoke of a few weeks back, this group means business. This God that they're following, this person in Jesus Christ that they seem to be talking about all the time, 
seems to be pretty important to him. There's this fear coupled with respect that's going on right now. Verse 14. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, the text says. Early on, we had a summer report just speaking of the men that were added. There were some over 5,000 men. Now we see here in this text that after this event, the beginning of Acts 5, we get a summary that believers were increasingly, increasingly, not a one-time deal, but they were increasingly being added to the Lord, to His church. Men and women. Now we're going to see that this is going to pose somewhat of a problem as we get into Acts chapter 6. That some of the large numbers, when you get into chapter 6, you're going to see that specifically there were these widows. Large number of disciples. The, the church was growing. And they're going, to, they're going to come up against another bump in the road, if you will. And the Lord's going to show them what they need to do. And the Word's going to keep growing. But for now, the summary here is that the multitudes were added to the Lord. It seems that the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira, while no doubt leaving a mark of sin, have created some, some, some kind of stir about who God is, about His power at work about His people at work. How were they at work? Well, I believe the end of Acts chapter 4 shows us how they were at work. They were at work together in prayer. Look at 15 and 16. So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Again, I would reference you back to Acts 4, 29 and 30. These actions being described in Acts 5 are the results of answered prayer. This is the very thing they were praying for. Not only that the Lord would grant to them boldness to speak, but by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They prayed that God would stretch out His hand to heal, and right here we see, as Luke records this, it's happening. According to His will, it's happening. Look at 17 and 18. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. And they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, 
at, at a time when sin is dealt with in the church, and fear of God is evident, multitudes, according to the text, are added to the Lord. Jerusalem had become the center of attention. People were bringing the sick on beds and couches, believing that they could be healed. Isn't it interesting that some believed all it took was simply to be in the path of Peter's shadow? You see, they were associating Peter and John and the apostles as men whom the Lord God was using in a powerful way. And so they were bringing these people, just bringing them near, bringing them close. They desired these very same things for these people, maybe perhaps loved ones that they knew, bringing them that they might be healed. Well, the stir locally spread outward. And the text says that a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem. News was spreading about what? About the power of God. Yes, they were going to Peter, but let's be clear. And maybe perhaps the people that were coming from surrounding cities that were hearing about all this news, maybe the news that they got was, hey, Peter, did you hear what Peter did? And perhaps to them, it was a man doing something that they really liked, that they really desired to see done in their own lives or in a family member's lives, and that is to be healed. But church, the more you come to know about this God we serve, the more we come, hopefully, with an understanding that this, is, this text is not put here to build up Mr. Peter. No. Peter was praying for God to do a work. Just so happened... Peter is the one God uses. Peter is the one that's, that's put front stage right here in the book of Acts for us to see. A little bit later, it's going to be Paul. For right now, it's Peter. God's using Peter. God's using John. God's using the apostles for a reason, for a purpose. To show, to put on display, not how wonderful the apostles are, but how wonderful the God they serve. Let's be clear on that. This is about making God known. God gets the praise through this. And however much people knew about the news that had gone on, we're not clear. Scripture doesn't tell us. But they come. And the text does tell us that they were all healed. So, praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord for the time of healing. Fear, respect, trust in the Lord, bring the people. Prayers have been offered to the Lord for His healing to occur. 
the apostles were surrendered to God's purposes. Let's be clear on that. They were of one accord back in Acts chapter 4. All the way back in Acts chapter 1, for that matter. When they're in the upper room, right? After the ascension, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. They're in one accord, and they're praying about these very things. What was happening in Jerusalem did not go unnoticed, though. And Acts 5.17 points us again to the high priest and the Sadducees. They were, the text says, filled with indignation. Why? In Acts 4, verse 2, the text says that they, they, these same folks, they were greatly disturbed. Why? That the apostles taught the people, first of all, and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, they are filled with indignation over what's happening before their eyes. In both instances, they were intervening in God's work. His power at work in the preached word, Acts 4. His power at work right here in Acts 5, through healing the sick and casting out unclean spirits. A resistance to God's power at work. Why the concerns from the high priest over the healings? Not too long ago, they arrested Peter and John, remember that? As they heard them teaching people and preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. But here, in Acts chapter 5, 12 through 16, the apostles are being used of the Lord to bring about healings. Believers were being added, both men and women. But sick were being healed. And those who were tormented by unclean spirits were being healed. Why are they treating this on the same plane as the teaching and preaching of Christ? Do you see that in the text? It's an interesting question. The Lord showed me and pointed me back to Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, you might remember the story. Peter and John were caring about their business on a regular day, headed to the temple. And on that particular day, God stirred Peter and John to get the attention of this man who had been lame, laid at the gate called Beautiful. A man who had been begging. The text leads you to believe that he was a regular there by the entrance to the temple. Everyone knew this guy. He's healed, and what's the result? Do you remember? Does it not cause quite a stir among Jerusalem? Could it be that Luke, as he's moved by the Spirit... Details the account of the lame man in chapters 3 and 4. It's quite a long account. Could it be that he takes time to detail this account for this very purpose right here in Acts chapter 5? Could it be that developing the impact of one miraculous healing is intended as a precursor to many such healings yet to come? Now, if the healing of one man caused such a stir, what might happen, you suppose, if 10, 20, 50, 100 or more 
are healed by faith in the name of Jesus. The text here in Acts 5 doesn't say how many were healed. But it does say they were all healed. I tend to believe there were many healed on this particular occasion. The healings were stirring Jerusalem. And the news quickly reached the headquarters of the high priest. And I want you to see the connection between the end of 16 and the beginning of 17. That they were filled with indignation over what was happening. Remember the lame man. The fact that he was standing served as testimony to all the people of the wonderful work of God. The high priest and company are starting to see that it's not just teaching and preaching, but healing. See, the ones who get healed are the greatest spokespersons for Jesus. Could have been the thought. No doubt that ought to be true. Spiritually speaking, those of us who are healed, we ought to be a different. Amen? There should be something different about us. But you get the idea that because of all these healings, because of people changed lives, not just physically, We've got to stop this. Look, it's bad enough that these followers of Jesus are talking about Jesus. Remember that lame man who just was blabbing all over town about what Jesus did? We've got a fire on our hands. We've got to put it out. Remember that man was walking and leaping and praising God. I love the picture. But you take that one picture of that one healed man, and multiply at times however many were healed. Do you think the Sadducees and folks got a problem? I think they do. So, this is the second time that the apostles, earlier on I believe it was Peter and John, now we've got the whole group of them, they're in prison. The cost of following Jesus includes suffering for his name. 1 Peter. There are probably several passages we could turn to. 1 Peter chapter 4 is a good place to go. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. By the way, just as a side note, I, I take delight, comfort in reading these words, especially as they come to us from Peter, moved by the Spirit. As though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, 
Blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. Let me read that first part again. Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. They're put in prison. Church, we need to understand something that for these apostles to be put in prison, time spent in prison for the name of Christ does not mean the work of God is put to a halt. While locked up, God's power is not locked up. He's still at work. You know, I was reminded here of, of, of the, the game. Many of you probably played the game. This board game called Monopoly. Remember that? And you pick up one of those cards. And one of those cards says, go to jail. Go to, directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Right? I've drawn that card a lot. That's how I can quote it to you. But you know, all you do for three turns, unless you happen to roll one of those doubles, right? All you do is sit there. You can't do a thing. I see something quite the opposite here. That when these guys are put in prison, there's a lot going on. A lot of God's work is going on. The apostles may not have known when they got thrown in the second time. You know, Peter and John are, you know, they're veterans now. They've already been thrown in. Perhaps they've served as a comfort and encouragement to the rest of the group as they were now thrown in with them. It is interesting to consider as you look at verses 19 and forward here. But at night. Oh, by the way, I know oftentimes we talk about parts of grammar on an occasion and that we bring out that word but and it brings out a contrast. This is a great place. I love it. They were filled with indignation. They laid their hands on them and they put them in prison. But... At night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. They put him in prison, but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. On 
brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. Praise God for that text. That, that's a great text, isn't it? It gets even better in, in regards how to how Luke tells this particular account. So the prison doors were open. They're brought out. Reminds me back of that prayer in Acts 4, 29. Lord, look on their threats. Lord, look on their threats. God seems to be looking on as his servants are once again put in prison on his behalf. But, but you know, this, this account doesn't quite turn out like you might think it would. When, when an angel of the Lord shows up here at night and brings them out of prison, you expect a different word here, perhaps. When the Lord rescues them from prison, what's the word? If you didn't have any knowledge of the rest of the text, how much do you think the angel of the Lord would rescue them? What would that look like? What word might he have for the apostles having just brought them out of prison? This is instructive. Have we equated God's rescue with escape from bad things? Escape from suffering. Escape from persecution. Escape from trials. I want you to notice where God commands the apostles to go upon being brought out. Go, stand in the temple. I want you to notice what God commands the apostles to do upon being brought out. Speak to the people all the words of life. Huh? I, I thought you were going to rescue me. You see, this text seems to be teaching us something about how God rescues his people. It seems to teach us something about the nature of God. It teaches us something about the purpose for which he may rescue his people. It teaches us not to assume the nature of God's rescue. You think you got it all figured out. Uh-uh. That's, I, because if it were up to me, if I was the one who came at night and I'm bringing them out, guess where I'd take them? Long, long, far away. I'd be thinking, escape, escape, retreat. That's not how God thinks about it here in this text. You see, God has rescued the apostles. But for what purpose? That's the question. For what purpose has he rescued them? That he might keep them safe? That he might send them far away from the hands of the Sanhedrin? 
Is he rescuing them knowing that the apostles, some of them at least, had already gone through one jail sentence and so, you know, that's a little much. I'm going to take them out of this. I was reminded again of Deuteronomy 6. We read this a few weeks ago. I believe we read it last week. How God provided, remember, he provided houses which they did not build and wells which they didn't dig and trees which they didn't plant and text says that when you've eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt that he might bring them into the promised land. God rescued you out of bondage of sin that he might bring you in to a life with Christ. With Christ. A life of walking together in the household of God. Walking in the spirit. Carrying out God's eternal purpose through Jesus Christ. Perhaps he brings the apostles out. That he might show them once again. and Manifest right before their very eyes. How he wants to bring them in. How he wants to have them be a part of his plan of operations seems odd to us but doesn't the word say his ways and his thoughts are higher than mine I mean what we don't see in the text notice notice what's absent in the text sometimes that's good to notice that what's not here what's not spoken we don't get a series of questions or comments from the apostles upon hearing the instructions you want me to do what you know, I was reminded of Joshua. Remember when he received those instructions, those silly instructions to march around the wall. Do that, and then on the last day, do it, do it seven times. What? Or, or perhaps the question that we don't see here in the text is, you want me to go where? Where? You remember Jonah had a problem with where, didn't he? Go to Nineveh. Sorry, can't do that one. I'm going to go to Tarshish. And we see where that got him. Or one other one that's not here is, what are you doing to me, Lord? What are you doing? And I was reminded here of Job. You remember Job? Upright, blameless in all the land. And you remember how those first two chapters fall out? Job has everything taken from him. Except his nagging wife. And his own life. Why, why, why are you doing this to me? And he has questions, doesn't he? If you read the entirety of the book, you see there's lots of questions that he has. Or perhaps what we don't see here is this whole idea of, you know, Lord, I, I would have been much better if it just, I would have been much better back in that prison. Reminds me of the Israelites grumbling. Remember that? Remember how they grumbled? Oh, it would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. 
we don't see. Lord, that just doesn't make any sense. Reminds me of the time in John's gospel when the disciples heard from Jesus that they were going to be going back into Judea. This was the time when Lazarus was sick. Remember that? And they said, the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going to Judea again? I mean, here in Acts 5, why, why would you call me to preach at this time? I mean, it, it makes sense just, just to kind of lay low for a time. Let them calm down. And then, we'll, then we can ramp it back up again. You see, there are a lot of things that, that perhaps don't fully make sense to us. But instead, all we read in the text is, and when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. I believe that's instructive for us. Obedience. Walk in obedience to what the Lord has called us to. And so, while they're back at it, preaching the word, the high priest is convening the council, <clears throat> rallying all the troops, getting everybody together. They sent to the prison to have the apostles brought. The end of 21 says. And it's, it's right there in this text, it's one of those, like, uh-oh moments. But you know something's about to happen. And as a reader, you know, we're given insight into what the Lord had been doing behind the scenes. At the same time, when the Sanhedrin calls to the prison for the apostles, the Lord had already called them out of the prison for His purpose. It's interesting, I believe, that that man, when he's deciding he's going to do something, when man decides that he's going to coordinate something, when man decides to make these big, grandiose plans and schemes, isn't it interesting how oftentimes God is already a step, two steps, three steps, four steps ahead of him? Already working out all things according to his purpose. <clears throat> we see it here in the text. Verses 22 and 23. When the officers came, did not find them in the prison. They returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Huh. Look at the response in 24. When the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests, the, the higher-ups, right? When they heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. I love that phrase. They wondered what the outcome would be. You know what it reminded me of? Matthew 28, verse 11. Some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. Like earthquake, like angels appearing, like stone rolled away, and empty tomb. No Jesus. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, his disciples, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. 
Now, when the high priest and company heard that the apostles here in Acts 5 were missing, the text says they wondered what the outcome would be. <laughs> I love it. They were what? I imagine they were probably having flashbacks. You know, this guy, Jesus, is this more of what we dealt with when Jesus was in the tomb? Remember when that guard came, a group of guards, they came and they told us the news that his body was nowhere to be found. Remember, they told us about that stone that had been rolled away. I sure hope this isn't going to be a repeat of some missing bodies. I have no idea where they're at. They wondered what the outcome would be. They had no idea. You see, this comes from a people who was all, all, they seem to be so sure of themselves all the time. But the text says here, they wondered. They wondered what the outcome would be. The text leads us to believe that there was a little bit of squirming going on in the room. Wondering. But they're let off the hook here in relatively short order, it seems. In verse 25, one came and told them, Look, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. I wonder if the guy who was reporting it had a big smile on his face. These guys that you put away last night, they're out here preaching again. Can you imagine the look on the faces of the Sanhedrin, the council, upon hearing the news? They're out in the temple, preaching and teaching. Those guys that you arrested, those guys you put in prison last night, they're back at it. They're at the temple, and they're preaching to the people. So, verse 26, the captain. By the way, the captain is the one who is in charge of keeping order in the temple. He doesn't seem to be doing a very good job, does he? I think somebody else is in control of these proceedings. The captain went with the officers and brought them, I love this, without violence. Why? For they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. See, they had to be very careful here. Because the people... were desirous to hear the word being preached. They had to be very careful. Because you see, they were also about people pleasing. So the text says they did this without violence. It had been interesting to see exactly how they did this. <clears throat> Come with me, please. I don't know how they did it. But think about it. They did it without violence. They're preaching. This group comes up. And they escort them some way, shape, or form without violence. That's what the text says. So they go. They get back to, the, to where the chief priest is and all the council. Can you imagine the looks on their face when the apostles show up? I imagine it was probably enjoyable, some level, some degree. I, it wasn't, I'm sure, the first thing on their mind. There were other things on their mind, like 
purposing to please the Lord in what they were doing, but if they were a man like myself, I'm sure there was at least a hint of wanting to see what their face would look like as the apostles showed up. This is a surprise. How, how, how is it they could be out there when we locked them up? How does that happen? So, we see here then in the text. Verses 27, 28. They brought them in. They set them before the council. The high priest asked them, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? Notice he doesn't even say the name of Jesus, does he? This name. And look. By the way, read these words with disgust. I believe that's how they were voiced. And look. You've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. I believe it was probably said even quite like that. And intend to bring this man's blood on us. Those are interesting words, church. To the first question, we can go backwards to Acts 4, 18. Because a while back they commanded them the same thing, not to speak at all teach in the name of Jesus and we see the response to that right out of the gate in 29 we ought to obey God rather than men to the issue of doctrine you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine John's gospel chapter 7 16 through 18 Jesus says he's answering them they want to know how he's such a learned man. How does he know these things? He's never studied. And the text says, Jesus says, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. Jesus said. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. I was reminded in Mark's gospel chapter 15 of this time right before Christ went to the cross. The text says in verse 7 there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels they had committed murder in the rebellion. And then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he'd always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And then Mark's gospel inserts this. For he knew, Pilate knew, for he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. Is the main issue here in Acts 5 doctrine? Is it really? Is teaching 
and preaching in the name of Jesus the real issue. Why are these guys so uptight about this teaching going forward? When Jesus was around, they did the same thing with him. Mark's gospel says that even Pilate, even Pilate understood this. He knew what was going on. He knew the chief priests handed him over because of envy. Church, what's the Bible say about this? James chapter 3 speaks of this wisdom, not from above, but the wisdom from below, right? If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Corinthians 3, verse 3. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Characteristic of someone who's carnal. Someone who's acting like the world. Or Galatians 5. We know the list. In Galatians 5, we oftentimes refer to the list as the fruit of the Spirit, but the list of works in the flesh, which are evident, right? Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, goes on. Envy, of which I tell you beforehand, Paul says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It made that list. Is there any reason to believe that what we're dealing with here in Acts 5 is different than the bitter envy expressed toward our Lord Jesus Christ? Why are they now so offended that the apostles would bring this man's blood upon them? From what I read in Matthew chapter 27, 24 and 25, Pilate saw that he could not prevail, but rather was a tumult rising. He took water, washed his hands before the multitude, said, I am innocent of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, you remember what they said? His blood be on us and on our children. They didn't seem to have much of an issue with Jesus' blood being upon them back when Jesus was standing before Pilate. But now, on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the resurrection, on the other side of the ascension, on the other side of the arrival of the Holy Spirit, now the council seems to be taking issue with such accusatory thoughts. And I'm reminded right here of the words of Jesus in Luke 21, 15. For I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Notice how Peter and the apostles reply. They answer, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers, the God of our fathers, raised up Jesus whom you murdered. Remember last chapter he, he said that you crucified him. Now he says you murdered. This, this God, God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. Why? To give repentance to Israel of which you, my friends, are a part doesn't quite say that, but I imagine those were the implications. You see, as he's preaching those words, I believe he is not only answering 
the question asked, giving a, a response to what's been spoken, but I believe he is giving a defense. I believe he's giving an invitation for them to know who this Jesus is and to respond to this Jesus. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. We ought to obey God rather than men. Yes, it is true, you gave us the command not to teach in Jesus' name. But when there are two voices ringing in our ears, the voice of truth is Jesus, and it is this voice that must and will be spoken as long as the Lord gives me life. That's my paraphrase. But that's the truth of the matter. They're very clear. They're not teetering on the fence, trying to please them and the Lord. Can't serve two masters, can you? You filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. I believe here that the apostles, as they're speaking in 29 through 32, would have understood this doctrine to be rooted in the truth of the gospel. You murdered Jesus, but he was delivered over to you. Let's understand, he was delivered over to you by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Peter's already spoken of that. He died, he was buried, but three days later, just like he said it would happen, he was raised. God raised him from the dead. The report you heard from those guards a while back regarding the missing body of Jesus, let me tell you how he disappeared. None of us took him. God raised him up because death could have no hold on him. And following a 40-day teaching on the kingdom of God, Jesus ascended to be back with his father. And God exalted Jesus, giving him the name above every name. He's the prince of peace. He's the savior of your soul. He's granted you this day opportunity to repent. All of Israel, even you. He's made it possible for your sins to be forgiven. And not only that, but this group of followers, as you look around here, this group of followers, we are witnesses to these very things. And so is the Holy Spirit. You see, he's the one who was poured out a while back on the day of Pentecost. You might recall all the disturbance going on on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had arrived, Sanhedrin. You might recall that Jesus spoke about this very one to come before he went to the cross. He's the one. God gave the Spirit to whom? To those who obey. Counsel, you speak as though we are declaring a false doctrine. This is nothing other than the truth of the gospel. A truth that, would, that God would desire you to believe and receive as your own. That statement. The end of verse 28. You intend to bring this man's blood. The council makes reference to this man's blood. I couldn't help but think as I was reading that. Little does he know but he's speaking the very thing needed for one to be in Christ. 
council is not the only group of folks guilty of sin. I, I think we need to be clear here because I think it's, I think it's sometimes we can read an account like this and we can th- start throwing darts at the, the Sanhedrin, right? While they handed over Christ to be crucified. Each one of us here, because of sin, because of rebellion against the Holy One, each one of us had a part to play in Christ's death on the cross. Let's not sit here for one moment and be judging in our hearts that group, that council, for what they did. From what I read in the scripture, sin entered the world through one man. Romans 5, verse 12. We're all in that boat, church. All of us. God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says. He took that sin upon himself. This man's blood is the very means by which we're brought near. So the council speaks of his blood. They want nothing to do with his blood at this point. They state no connection with this man's death. Yet here's the difference today. See, the council is denying that they had anything to do with this man's blood. To them, it doesn't say, but to them, perhaps, Jesus was sentenced to be crucified because he blasphemed. Wasn't that the charge? That was the charge put forth. But what about you and me today? How do you deny Jesus? Maybe you didn't hand him over directly to Pilate, but how does your life deny that Christ is Lord and Savior? How does your life deny the faith once entrusted to the saints? How does your life deny the message of the cross? How does your life deny Christ's reconciling, sin-atoning work at the cross? Do your speech, your thoughts, your motives, your actions, your walk as a whole, does it deny the message of Christ crucified and resurrected and ascended? Well, as you might guess, the response from Peter and the apostles caused quite an uproar. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Probably to many of us comes as no surprise that was the response. Why were they furious? Why were they now plotting to kill them? Perhaps they were pierced to the heart by the truth of what had been spoken. And you see, there's, there's oftentimes two responses to being pierced in the heart, aren't there? Response number one is you are moved to humility, moved to submission to the will of the Lord. Response number two, moved to anger, leading to murder, plotting murder, rejecting the Lord's authority, content with being your own authority. No one's going to tell me what to do. I can do this just fine on my own. Could there perhaps be some envy and self-seeking at work? This whole challenge to authority. 
Just as the apostles said, hey, I, I'm hearing two voices here telling me what to do. I'm going to follow what God's telling me to do. Over here, there are two voices. And, and this, this council wants to eliminate one of those voices so that their voice can be heard. See the difference? So that their voice can be heard. They're not concerned about what God's voice is saying. Or if they have any concern of what God's voice is saying, God's voice is going to speak through my voice, the council might say. So in the midst of the chattering voices of the council, in the midst of minds bent on the apostles' death, there is one who stands up. Praise the Lord, this guy stands up. It was bold. This was bold of him to do this. It would have been very easy to just let things ride. Just let these guys keep on going. Let's just take care of all these apostles. Let's just get rid of all of them. This one man stands up, Gamaliel. Teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people. I can see why he's held in respect after reading about what he says here. He says, he commands that, that, that these guys be put out for a while. They're going to have another conference. The pattern here looks real similar to what we read in chapter 4, doesn't it? After hearing Peter speak on that occasion, they took notice that he and John had been with Jesus. Remember that? They didn't know what to say, so they just boot him out for a bit so they didn't talk about it. Not much to say on that particular occasion since the man who was healed was standing right there next to him. But here in Acts 5, the apostles are in their midst preaching the very gospel. Not to other people, but to the council members themselves. They're being extended the gospel truth and are stumbling once again over the stumbling stone, the rock of offense. The text is clear that the council does not have ears to hear the truth. So, looking at what Gamaliel has to say to the council is instructed. Once again, we get a behind-the-curtain look, right? The apostles are gone, but praise the Lord, we have these words recorded for us. We get to hear and what, what's going on here behind the scenes. And if I could just summarize or boil down the message to the council, it would include three things. First, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do to these men. In other words, be careful what you're about to do. You are running on emotions, men. You don't like what's being spoken, but be careful about the actions that you're about to take. Let me ask this question. When someone speaks words that you disagree with, how do you respond? See, some are quick to speak to put forth your right answer. You, you have no intention of listening to truth. You already know the truth. And you're most concerned about expressing your own heart. Proverbs 18.2 says that. You want your word to be heard. You have no intention of adhering to what someone else has shared, even if that word comes from, even when you're confronted with the word of truth. We call them today hot buttons, right? Hot buttons. Many of you here, there are certain hot button issues that have potential to just set you aflame. 
bring up the subject. For someone to speak a word that might touch one of those hot button arenas in your life, you immediately react or pounce, perhaps, is a better descriptor of what you'd do. If the Spirit of Christ is in you, James's counsel, I believe, is instructive. My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, not to speak, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, nor does it all add to this. It's not in James' passage, but it is found in the Ephesians' passage nor does it contribute to keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4. So that's the first thing. Take heed to what you're about to do, guys. Second, look at the pattern from history. Verses 36 and 37. Right? Gamaliel points to the council. He points the council to these two men who led a certain movement, uprising. And look at their lives, he says. The people followed them for a time, and then when these guys died, the following trailed off. Here's the third thing, and this is really the exhortation right here, 38 and 39. So taking his cue from history, he then proceeds to bring it home to the council. And now I say to you, okay, he's right here. Now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Why? Why would he say leave them alone? Well, the text gives us some indicators. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, I wonder if Gamaliel really thought it was. Could that have been perhaps the reason he stood to begin with? If it's of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. If of men, it will come to nothing. If of God, you cannot overthrow it. Men, take some time to discern what these men are doing and how this is all going to turn out. Be careful how you respond to this. You do not want to find yourself on the other side of God. Interesting comment in that many of them already were on the other side of God, having stumbled over Christ, the only way to the Father. Isn't it interesting what Gamaliel says? Well, the response from the council in verse 40. And they agreed with him. That's all it says, they, they agreed with him. When they had called... For the apostles and beaten them. You know, that's just put in there just like a couple, you know, and when they'd beaten them. Let's understand, that would have been painful. Beat them, 40 minus one probably. All of them were beaten. They call them back in, they get beaten. In the last chapter, they didn't get beaten. All they got was this. Don't do this. 
don't do this. Now they get don't do this with beating. I want you to see the progression because it's going to keep progressing. They commanded them they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Notice how the chapter ends as the apostles are now released following a beating. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They departed from the presence of the council. How? With what spirit? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They didn't leave the presence of the council upset, bawling in tears. I'm sure they were hurting. And if they had any tears, I'm sure the tears, the tears for these guys were tears of rejoicing. Not tears of, oh, oh, this is, I, I, you know, this is so hard. I, I, oh, guys, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't see that in the text. I, I don't see any of that. I don't see a hint of that in the text. Any, any hint of, I'm ready to call it quits right now. If, it, if this is what it's going to be like, guys, I'm throwing in the towel. Doesn't the word say and talk about a disciple of, what's it say about a disciple, a follower of Jesus? What's Jesus saying in John 15? They hated me. They're going to hate you. They nailed me to a cross. It's possible if you follow in the path that I walked, it's very possible that you're going to go through some of the same stuff. Are you ready for it? Or are you trying to avoid it? Are you trying to get around it? You're trying to dodge it. You're trying to say one thing over here and then go over here and say something else to someone else. So that you're good with both companies. No. They, they, they left. They departed rejoicing. And notice what it says in 42. And daily in the temple. Daily in the temple. They were going to the temple daily. Not just once a week. Daily. Daily in the temple. Daily in every house. In every house. In every house. You see, the church of Jesus Christ. This is instructive. It's not just for a few houses. Every house. Every house needs to be a part of this. Every house needs to be on board with what Christ is doing, what the Lord would have us do. So what were they doing daily? The text says they did not stop. They did not cease. Teaching Jesus, preaching Jesus, that he's the Christ. So we already see a glimpse at the end of the chapter how they're going to respond to such a beating. How they're going to respond to such a command to not speak in the name of Jesus. 
It's like something isn't registering with these apostles. Or is it? You see, they've got the message. It's clear. This is what they're going to be about. They've received the Holy Spirit who is now in them to be a what? A witness to Jesus. I was thinking of this text and thinking of the phrase to be continued. You know how when you, when you watch something, you see something, and at the end of it, there's this little thing on the screen that comes, it's to be continued. And besides the fact that it probably upsets many of you when you see that, and then you have to wait until another time. I was thinking of this and this to be continued. Because you see, this is exactly what's going on. It's to be continued. This is not just wrapped up because it's the end of the chapter. It is that, but it's not the reason. It, this, is, this is telling us what's happening, what's the response, but this is to be continued. You see, the gospel truth is intended to be continued in your life, through the lives of your children, and on and on until the day of Christ's return, that he might receive glory and honor because, you see, we're here to the praise of his glory. That's why. And so, church, let this be continued. To be continued. And as you continue living your life, dads and moms, let's be sure that this gets continued through your life. And that that baton that gets handed over to the lives of your children, children as you're sitting here today, continue. Let this gospel truth be communicated and continued. That you might too pass it on and pass it on. This is intended to be passed on and continued to be lived out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. I give you praise, Lord, for the fact that you've given to us a word of truth. Father, I pray that as we've heard your word, Lord, I pray that we now would be doers of that word. That as your spirit has taught us this morning as the word was read, Lord, I pray that we would be diligent to obey the word, to carry it out. Father, thank you for the picture that you presented to us. And what's happened here in Acts chapter 5. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is in control. We thank you that you are a God who orchestrates all things. That you are a God who, whose ways are, are, are higher and different than ours. Your thoughts are different. Father, it's our role and responsibility not to question what you would have for us, but to walk in obedience when you call us. May we do that, Lord. May we continue to do that. And when confronted with challenges and trials and persecutions, sufferings, may we, like the apostles, rejoice 
that we get to be counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. And may we continue walking in the truth. May we continue walking in the light as he is in the light. Oh, Lord, I pray you would help us in that. To be steadfast. To walk. To live a life that would speak. The life of Christ in me. And that the prayers on our behalf would be that the life of Christ in us would be continued and would continue and would continue. Oh, Lord, I pray for that. And pray that in that process you would get much glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.